Welcome to House Party, a podcast for real estate and pop culture collide coming straight to you from the editors of Realtor.com. I'm Natalie Way. And I'm Rachel Stoltz. And welcome back. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, We had a weird week this week. We had a weird week. We always have a weird week, but um, (laughs) we received, we had a little brush with Howard Stern this week, (laughs) which sounds terrifying. (laughs) Howard Stern, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was tangential, but one of our articles actually made its way to Howard Stern and his Sirius XM show, and they talked about it at length. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sparked a lot of like fiery discussion <laughs> in the studio. A lot. And we will link to the article in the show notes before we go any further. I want to let you guys know that. I am not sure where the Venn diagram is of our listeners and the Howard Stern show. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's a very narrow little circle in the middle. Um, but everybody knows who Howard Stern is. I'm not sure if everybody knows who Ronnie the limo driver is. No. I did not. This no. is Howard Stern's sidekick in the studio. He's a fellow mouth guy who likes to let his opinions be known on any subject matter and frequently yells at callers who call in. And he's the limo driver, quote unquote, because he has been Howard Stern's limo driver for decades, many years. He's and like, he started out as that. And then he became one of these like personalities on Howard Stern, Howard Stern's show. Yeah. Somehow went from behind the steering wheel to taking the microphone. Mm hmm. Uh, why are we talking about Ronnie Lemma Driver? Well, a couple weeks ago, we did a story, as we do on many celebrities or public figures, about his house that he listed in Queens for $916,000. He is moving, he's retiring and moving to Las Vegas. And so we got a hold of the photos of the house, and it's actually pretty insane inside. Uh, (laughs) insane in like not a good way (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot to be said about it which is kind of how this came to be so a caller called into the Howard Stern show this week and said hey dude I saw your house on realtor.com and I want to talk about it and Ronnie flipped his lid (laughs) he was so mad at us so mad that we published a story about his house with photos of the interior Meanwhile, the caller and Howard Stern himself said, hey, this can only do good here. Like, surely it's going to help you sell your home faster and for more money. Ronnie was not having it. <laughs> he said some things that I can't say on this podcast. About there us. were a lot of like F-bombs. Yeah, there were a lot of F-bombs. Directed at us. <laughs> at at <laughs> News and Insights. <laughs> He's less than pleased, I will say. And he went on and on about how he didn't want to take the listing down, but he felt like his right was to be able to put the the home on the MLS, but not have us pick it up and publicize photos of the interior. Mm-hmm. And that he didn't need our help to sell this house for <laughs> $916,000 in Queens, New York. Um, I would argue differently that... This is a classic case of any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. And this segment 
Again, we'll link to it in the show notes. This segment went on for at least 15 minutes. It went on for a while. And the whole time I'm thinking, all you're doing is driving interest to your house. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To me, I know that Ronnie said that he, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't want our help. You know, having this story out there, identifying this as his home is going to just send creeps and weirdos and looky-loos to his house. And that may well be, but if you're lo- if you're working with a realtor, first of all, they're going to wade through the looky-loos and the weirdos, and they're not going to let them even get close to your house. Yeah, and, and second- also, let me cut you off for a second. We yeah. never publicized his address. We don't dox celebrities. No, so exactly. This yes. is just publicizing photos that we took from from the the listing detail from page. the public database called the multiple listing service that many many real estate agents have access to and real estate professionals but we would never publicize the address like he would no. never we would never put it out there for him to be harassed by weirdos nope and so i'm in the camp i basically want to shoot back at ronnie and say you know what dude like you should be grateful like this like that we considered you a celebrity worth writing about (laughs) yeah I mean we write about like a-listers sometimes b-listers we write about a lot of of athletes um and so to throw like a tangential Howard Stern sidekick on the mic into our story lineup like I mean obviously this caught fire but like He's got his fans. That's he's for got sure. his fans, and like we can tell you definitively that that this story saw a lot of like a lot of eyes saw the story on our site. Like, yeah, this only drove people to look at his house, show interest in his house, and it's an indisputable fact that the more eyes that get on your listing, the better it's going to be. Like, ask any real estate agent. I sympathize that there's some degree of discomfort that comes with having your sure interiors the inside of your home and everything that you own shown not only in the internet and your listing photos but then picked up by a national media outlet and publicized for the world to see I get that Mm -hmm. however I think you waive right to you can be uncomfortable with it but I think you 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 waive all what am I saying? Like rights to it when you're you're a public figure. He chose to move from being a limo driver to being a public figure and mm-hmm. on the air with Howard Stern. There's plenty of drivers for celebrities that stay anonymous, that stay, you know, out of the public eye. But Ronnie chose to get on the microphone. And this is what comes with celebrity. I mean, it's not like we... this. Uh, all of our articles that we write like in this type of way when we write like about celebrity real estate are so objective it's the facts it's we are it's we're writing it like a straight news story so to say that we're not allowed to do that and then to be like you should take the story down like that's just not how it works like i'm sorry that's just not how journalism works. Interestingly enough, I actually sent this story to some friends and I said, oh, I told them the whole story. I said, Ronnie is very upset with us uh, because we wrote this article and I sent it to them and they said, I don't understand what's the problem. 
Yeah. You didn't say anything bad about it. And I was like, that's exactly the point. He's just mad that we did it. We didn't say it's ugly, which, by the way, it is. Um, <laughs> it is hideous inside. And that's not just us. Howard Stern was ragging on this house hardcore, yeah. as were the callers into his show. Um, it definitely could benefit from from some staging. Yeah. The, much staging. I mean, yeah, every room is like a different, very bright color. Um, it's, it's clearly a house that someone would buy and... Uh, what flip or repaint or you know I mean the lawn looks very nice he's he's done a great job landscaping <laughs> um but yeah I, I love I NASCAR think, stuff he is I a know, big NASCAR fan uh, cool <laughs> um sorry um uh, but I just think like I know it's not his personality but like Ronnie needs to chill <laughs> Ronnie needs to take a chill pill because Ronnie's dude. not going to chill. Spoiler alert. I don't think so. Ugh. We may have just poked the poked the bear with this. Um, well, maybe. But that's okay. Ronnie, if you want to come on the podcast and talk with us about it, we would, we'll have you, man. We'll have you. Let I us mean, know. Podcast at realtor.com. Yeah, please do. Um, so that was our, that was our bit of drama for the week. I'll ask our listeners. Ronnie didn't like this, but are, are we overstepping when we write? about celebrity real estate and show you the photos of their homes or is this just what they what they get when they're a public figure and this is what you you all want let us know podcast at realtor.com Any longtime listener of House Party knows that we talk about creepy houses on this podcast quite a bit. We talk about haunted houses full of folklore. We talk about houses that have been used in movies that are cinematic icons. So we were really excited this week to have the opportunity to sit down with the directors of a new Netflix film called Things Heard and Seen. This movie stars Amanda Seyfried and James Norton. And here's the synopsis. After moving to a small town with her husband, a young artist begins to suspect that their home harbors a dark secret. As you can probably guess, (laughs) a lot of this movie focuses around this house, which just stirred up so many questions for us. We had the pleasure of sitting down this week with the directors of the film, Sherry Springer Berman and Robert Pulcini, And we got to ask them all these burning questions. Like, how do you pick the best house for a horror movie? What made you pick this particular house? And did anything creepy happen on set? (laughs) So we hope that you'll tune in and enjoy the interview. Well, we did a little introduction for you yesterday, but I'll, I'll go ahead and get it started um, again, we have Robert Pulcini and Sherry Springer Berman, the filmmakers behind Things Heard and Seen on Netflix. This is a paranormal thriller that is coming out on April 29th. Natalie and I watched the film and we loved it on the edge of our seats the entire time. So we are super excited to talk to you guys. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you it's for having pleasure. us. Um, we just as you know, Rachel and I just generally love to talk about movies and film. But of course, this podcast is about homes and real estate. So the reason that we're talking to Robert and Sherry um, about their film is because it takes place um, in this 
incredible house um, in the Hudson Valley. And the house plus the location is just such a strong part of this film. So we had to get the scoop from them um, about their filming location. We have a ton of questions about this this spooky yet gorgeous um, historical home that you filmed in. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, just a very quick synopsis of the movie and then why the home is so crucial to the plot. Well, it has a kind of classic setup. It's um, a young couple who leave Manhattan and move into kind of a, uh, they move to the Hudson Valley to a very kind of small historic community, uh, farming community up where, you know, the roads are no longer paved. And, you know, a lot of the film is set in an area that's kind of still like the 1800s in a lot of corners of it. If you, you know, see the way the dairy farmers live and whatnot up there. And, um, so it has a kind of classic horror movie setup, haunted house movie setup, but it's really about uh, a film about a marriage and about the tensions, tensions in a marriage. And, and it's set in the 1980s. So um, there's a kind of political angle to it too, of the times, um, especially in terms of, you know, women's roles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a book called All Things Cease to Appear by mm-hmm. Elizabeth Brundage, a, a very beautiful book. And we came to the book, and to the project because we actually live in the city, but own a house uh, on a dirt road in the Hudson Valley um, and, and love that area and fell in love with the location and the home uh, was central in the book. It's a wonderful book and, and finding the right house was, I would say the house and property was the single biggest challenge of making this movie it was both the most satisfying when we found the right one and the most terrifying as we went through the process (laughs) and basically looked at every single farm in columbia and dutchess county new york wow how do you do that how do you scout the perfect location the perfect home for a horror movie or a a scary movie like this, did you have something in mind exactly? Or did you just know that you'd know it when you found it? Well, I knew what I didn't want um, first, which was, I, I, you know, I said, don't show me any second empire homes, you know, with the kind of mansard roofs that those are kind of classic horror movie houses. Um, nothing gothic, nothing, you know, nothing overly ornate. Yeah, right. nothing, nothing Victorian. Uh, or or ornately Victorian, we you know we shied away from. So why not? You know, I, if I if I may interrupt, just because that seems to be the classic trope when it comes to scary films, they always go for the Victorian. Why why did you want to shy away from that? Well, I think that's exactly why. I mean, first of all, is uh, you know it just seemed we didn't want you know a scary uh, or quote unquote scary looking you know what we normally f- see as a scary looking house, you know, the, gotcha. the second, the second empire house is like, I think that's Disney's haunted mansion style. Right. Of you know, you see that, you see that quite often and uh, it kind of gets a bad rap because they're beautiful homes. You know, you mm-hmm. see my, my son, it's so funny when we drive around, he's like, that house is haunted and it's always either a Victorian or that style house. So <laughs> it's quite funny, but um, well, also the book, uh, the book that we based the movie on really was very, 
clearly wrote about the way the house appeared, what it looked like. It was an old dairy farm that had been fallen on tough times. So there needed to be a huge barn. And, and just so that you know, interestingly enough, Elizabeth Brundage, who wrote the book that we base this on, uh, lived in a house and felt that it was haunted. The house that she lived <laughs> wound up moving out because she had so many scary incidents and her kids were seeing having weird incidents. So oh my gosh. Uh, there really are like stories of haunted houses. Uh, you know, once we started asking people were like, Oh yeah, that house has been haunted forever. And you know, <laughs> and it's like so, no big deal. To, to yeah, them. <laughs> exactly. Um, what characteristics about the home that you chose, like really made it stand out to you? You know, in the book, I believe it was more of a new England style home. So we kind of uh, gravitated toward those. Mm-hmm. And, um, we walked in and it was vacant and pristine. I mean, we just naturally assumed we were going to have to build this location out of several locations because what are the chances you find everything you need in one place? Yeah. Um, and it had a flow to it. I, at some point, you know, I don't know when, someone had opened up the first floor a little bit. And so it had this kind of very incredibly visual flow and yet everything, you know, the, the, the floors, the kitchen, the bedrooms, you know, everything was original, the windows. So it was just fantastic. There were little gifts, like the kitchen, they had this beautiful, crazy colored, like, like, like aqua colored sink. I saw that. I loved it. It was, that was there. Like I would have struggled to find that. I would have never, I mean, our production designer just flipped. He was like, this is beautiful. And it was there. Like there were all these really, there were things we weren't even able to. And the cabinets were. um, Built-ins. I don't know if they were original, but they were certainly very old. When Um, was the house that you found, when was it built? And is it currently occupied? It was built in the late 1800s. I don't know exactly what date. Um, it, it is, it was not, so it had interestingly enough been part of a family of farmers. It was a, it was a, a, a dairy farm like the book. They had stopped farming and the son of the owner, the, the, the original owners, the family that owned it, who's now, you know, an older man himself had built himself a home on the land, but like way in the, you can't see it really, you know, like way up over still, cause they have quite a lot of land. So he had, um, he had moved, you know, to his, a new house. He wasn't living in that house, but he had grown up in the house that we were shooting in. And when we shot in there, it was, it had just been bought by somebody, but not occupied. I don't know if they occupy it now. I don't know what happened. Got it. And we needed a house that looked like it needed, we didn't want a house that looked like it was ready for architectural digest, like for the characters, (laughs) it needed to look like a house that had promise, but was a struggle, you know, up and a little bit creepy, um, which this house was, but it was amazing because the one really big problem we had is that there were tons of bees in the house um, when we first went in and, and, and like so many bees that it was like, wow, I don't know if we can film in here. So we called a beekeeper and they came and they were like hives, like unbelievable amount of hives up in the attic that, Oh my gosh. 
you know, that now honeybees are endangered. So it was a great thing that they were able to remove it and bring it to a, a beekeeper was like thrilled to get these hives. But later when I was talking to the, the person who had grown up there, he t- said, yeah, yeah, I know all about those bees. When I was growing, they live in the walls. He's like, when I was growing up, there would be a time when honey would just stream down the walls sometimes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, that doesn't terrifying in and of itself. <laughs> I know. I was like, why are you telling me this now? We're like almost done filming the movie. Was- <laughs> <laughs> Could have used that material earlier. <laughs> So it sounds like there weren't any, did you have to make any changes to the place or was it just ready made for this film? Well, we, you know, we did, um, you know, we had a color palette and we were able to wallpaper where we wanted to wallpaper and um, paint. We did some painting. Yeah. But um, it was, you know, it was a canvas that was not blank. Let's put it that way. And, um, there was so much to work with. As you mentioned earlier, that there's a lot of haunted folklore in all of these towns in the Hudson River Valley. Did this house have any particular story that came with it? Did, did people say that it was haunted? You know, I had asked, and there was a lot of shrugging um, from people <laughs> who knew the house. There was no definitive answer to that. But, you know, it's funny. We had a lot of, like, we had to stop filming because of noises you know, that we couldn't explain. And we had someone go up to the attic to look. We sent somebody Ooh. up who was terrified. He was like, okay, I'll go up. <laughs> <laughs> Send the PA up to the attic. Exactly. <laughs> I think Amanda offered a, a reward for anyone who spent the night in the house. But Wow. I don't know if anyone actually took her up on it. So it was definitely like, it was both creepy and also really warm and lo- like lovely and inviting. You know, I remember we were shooting one night and it started snowing, like beautiful snowing. It was like the first snow of the season and it was just beautiful. And we were all in the house and it just, it felt so, I felt like I was in New England in like the 1800s or I felt, it felt incredibly beautiful and I'm a little curious about the role because we see in so many iconic horror and thriller movies um, just the the role that the house plays. Um, it's almost like a character in the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear from both of you, what role does the Veil House play in this film for the characters? It's funny that you say that because when we were looking for the house and we were saying no to every house that we were looking at, that would be my mantra this house is, is a character in the movie. This is the Mm -hmm. main, you know, one of the main characters. I mean, the house to me is, 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 is this play. It it plays the role of the catalyst for all the drama. I mean, it's, it's all the, all this history between these two people, their past, their marriage is embodied. It comes to a head or is, 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 exacerbated by this move to this house which in itself this house itself has this history it has a it it, it's a house that has there's a continuum yeah a spiritual Mm -hmm. continuum to this house that um it's hard to talk about without giving too much away in the movie but um (laughs) that 
you know, I think it, it becomes representative of something, you know, so something societal too. And, um, we can, I mean, so we can say listeners, um, we highly recommend that you watch this film on Netflix. Um, and for, for, for me and Rachel's benefit, we would like to talk to the filmmakers, um, and go into some spoilers a little bit. So, yeah. um, your official you spoiler alert. Yeah, this is your spoiler alert. Please fast forward maybe like 10 minutes, 15 minutes um, if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, But yeah, I mean, the house has this sinister history of, um, you know, multiple deaths happening in the house. And then as we get to the end, that's what happens to this couple. Um, And I, I just loved that cyclical it's 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 like it was an inevitability for for this couple um and 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 that was something that was really appealing to me when i read the book and the thing that i also found appealing is that there was this i called them the ghostly girl squad but that there was this like this strength in this strength amongst the women of the mm -hmm. house that suffered throughout history Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this sort of connection and this strength and support for, um, that, you know, ultimately I think triumphs, if you look at the world, you know, if you, if you look at the world beyond just the mortal life, but immortal life, one of the things that really is in the book it's, and we try to, um, to talk to, to address in the movie as well is the philosophy of Emanuel Swedenborg, who um, is was a philosopher and a scientist and a spiritualist, um, whose philosophy was very, very uh, inspiring for some of the Hudson River Valley uh, artists. And Swedenborg has a very interesting perspective on life and death and how death is just a continuation of life and um, that the natural world and the spiritual world are constantly coexisting mm -hmm. and how you have a, a, a match, so to say in the afterlife right. um, exactly. and how Amanda and, and James actually, their characters actually encounter um, those matches. It seems and, um, right. in, in this house, in this house. Yes. Question about the ending, if you want to give it away. What what can we interpret that as? What what happened at the end? With yeah, with George, with him sailing off in in Floyd's sailboat. I mean, Rachel was like, "What? So, what do you think? Did did he did he kill himself? Suicide? Was he struck down by a supernatural force that lit the boat on fire?" Um, we're curious about your take on the ending. Well, it's actually not uh, Floyd's sailboat; it's his cousin's sailboat. Right. Oh. It's the right. It's the um, the the horizon. Yes, um, and he's he's trying is to escape, but there is no escape. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Like one of the things I loved about this book, and it's like, how do you really get away with anything? Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a very topical question right now. We're seeing so many so many people who've gotten away with things for so long. I mean, culturally we're seeing mm -hmm. this huge 
you know, almost revolution happening where we're looking at people who are, you know, quote unquote toxic and they got away with things for so long. And obviously women have suffered at the hands of men for so long. And, you know, the, uh, George thinks he, he's gotten away with things, but he gets away with nothing because, you know, in the, in the, in the movie, there's a book that says damned, you know, there's a Bible. Mm -hmm. It's the husband who, whose Bible it was basically proclaimed his wife as damned Mm -hmm. because he saw her as a heretic. In the end, it's George that's damned. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's what's happening in that, in that ending. Right. Right. And that was physical more than like literal. I mean, I, I really enjoyed seeing, seeing the setting of the Hudson because we would often drive up to the Hudson. It was a quick drive for us. Um, we lived in North Bronx and so we would go up, you know, we'd go hiking, we'd go to Hudson Valley Brewery. We'd, you know, just, just take a drive to all the little towns. And if you are a fan of just seeing beautifully shot films in in really idyllic locations, um, but then also locations that kind of are a little spooky looking too. Um, you'll you'll really enjoy watching this one. And I also wanted to compliment the casting. I was very impressed with the casting of this movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody just was phenomenal. Oh, thank Thanks. you. Yeah, there were great people, and we really all got along so well. I mean, it was a it was a great group. Yeah, Ray Seahorn was amazing as Justine. So great! Yeah. Oh my gosh, she was perfect for that. Like everyone, yeah, it was, it was just such a good cast and so well well acted. It was um, really funny because uh, with Ray, you know, that was a character we were really struggling with who to cast, hmm. and we just, you know, we were kind of just kept throwing names around, and uh, then Sherry got a text from James Urbaniak, who plays Ray's husband in the film. And we've worked mm. on several movies. Um, he's great. And uh, he said, my friend Ray wants to play Justine. <laughs> it's very true Justine fashion. It just was correct. <laughs> and it came right from this, you know, friend of ours. And he's like, you should really talk to her. She'd be great. And the minute I read it, it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, how could I have not thought of this? <laughs> it's perfect. We cast her like immediately. And then, ca- and then said, hey, James. You know, I know you were just making a match, but how'd you like to play Ray's husband, Brad? <laughs> and he's like, sure, I'm in. So everybody won. <laughs> yeah, it really worked. And I'm a huge fan of F. Murray Abraham. So I loved him in this role. I thought it, he was fantastic. Oh, he's yeah. so great. He was great. He really was such, he's amazing and was like so game when we were sailing. He was like totally down for it. I and know. He's like 80 years old and he's so fit. And he's so fit. <laughs> I mean, we were all exhausted and mm-hmm. Murray was like, let's go. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. Going and drinking, drinking wine after the show. Yeah, shoot. he's he's just, and all the actors were so in awe of working with him, you know, because he's, he's a legend, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. He's so generous and lovely. It sounds like a bit like summer camp kind of in, in upstate New York a little bit. It really was. I mean, Amanda just, you know, she, we've kept in touch with her and she's like, Oh, I had some, you know, she's always saying it was so much fun. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, I wouldn't describe the movie as fun, you know, <laughs> the, the, the actual um, narrative of it, but it was a really great group and it was a really, you know, 
And it we was were beautiful. there watching the seasons change to fall to winter. and Yeah. I'm sure that you had some obstacles with weather and other things, but you really captured the beauty of that area, and I loved it. Well, that was important to us. Thank you. All right. Well, Rachel, um, do you have any other any other questions for our guests about the film? I think I'm good. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. This was really fun. Was yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for giving us insight into this process. It's, it's very exciting to find out how it all kind of comes together. And we appreciate your time. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. Thank you. And and to to reiterate, the uh, the film comes out uh, April 29th on Netflix. So be sure to stream it. It's it's really enjoyable. It's and if you're kind of like I don't like scary movies, it's not. It's it's more thriller than scary. It's not yeah. like there's no jump scares. It's I, don't know, I had a couple jump scares. You guys did that really <laughs> well. <laughs> that was legit. Uh, but yeah, overall, I, I wouldn't say it's that scary. It's just a really well done film. So. Um, highly recommend things heard and seen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Where is the time we spend? It's now time for Making Moves. This is our segment. Oh, my God. I just sounded like a flight attendant. <laughs> you, you did a little bit. Let me try that again. It's now time for Making Moves. This is our segment where we discuss homes that we previously talked about. We're catching you up on the sagas. Um, This is a saga that we've been following for quite a while. In fact, this A-lister put her home on the market in 2018, and I wrote a story about it. Um, Katy Perry owns a guest house, what is called her guest house in Beverly Hills, and this house um, was adjacent to her main house, um, before she sold her main house and moved to Montecito with her husband, Orlando Bloom. Husband? Partner? Baby daddy? Um, I'm not sure. One uh, of the three. Katy Perry's guest house is now pending. So we can say that this loop is about to close. She bought this home in 2018 for $7.4 million. Um and it's still in the market for $7.85 million. So, you know, if she does get her price that it is now, she'll make a teensy, teensy profit. Teensy. Teensy for her, not teensy for us. That's kind of insane to me. I mean, I... I that it hasn't sold yet? No. Granted, I, I don't really... As much as we talk about this, I don't have a good grasp on L.A., real estate and like what is reasonable for a certain area but this is literally called her guest house it's mm-hmm. 4410 square feet which is mm-hmm. very sizable for you know most families and it's but, on nearly an acre of land too which is for okay. los angeles let me tell you okay All right. a house on an acre of land is i'm just trying to make the case for why it's priced at almost eight million dollars i believe all. i believe it's because it's on nearly an acre of land i believe that's right. that's the main thing but and it's very private too with trees um you, there's no you can't see a house around you so you know we'll we'll see we'll see what katie perry ends up getting for this place but um i'm just glad that a loop is closing <laughs> you can die happy now Oh, God, I was really keeping You've been losing up. sleep over this. I was, I was. 
right. uh, that that's the only update we have this week, right? Right, Rachel. I didn't see. Anything yeah, else. our singular our singular move. We might have there. There's some things in motion that we saw, there's, but um, we're not. There ready are to some things yet. in motion. We have <laughs> our eyes. We have our feelers out there. We're watching some things. Maybe next week we'll be ready to report them. Oh, it's going to be a big one if it is. Uh, you'll you'll have to sit tight for that one because man. This will be very exciting. Um, Wait, what are you even talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about. Oh, I was like Norman Lear. What? Oh. <laughs> no, not Norman Lear. That one is very complicated. Um, okay, so that's it for making moves. But let's transition now into our final segment of the podcast: winners and losers. We're going to pick one celebrity winner and one celebrity loser, and it's based on whether or not they made a good real estate deal or a bad real estate deal. Um, this week's real estate loser of the week is Zach Efron. You know Zach Efron. He was in High School Musical. He... <laughs> Was in Hairspray. He is a lot of stuff. I don't think you need to go through his whole. He's in Baywatch. He's a very good looking man. I would say he's a list, right? Yeah, he's a list for sure. Okay. Um, he's been having trouble selling his LA mansion, though. He currently uh, lives in Australia. Apparently, he went to film Baywatch, and he kind of just never left. Yeah, and this is something we heard recently. I just want to side note that a lot of celebrities are buying right now in Australia. Right. It's kind of like the next frontier. Especially <laughs> like during the pandemic, people were like, bye US and they're they're headed uh they're headed there. So we may talk about that in the future, but um Zach got in on it. For sure. Yeah, so Zach um is currently in Australia and he's basically cutting ties with Los Angeles real estate market um he doesn't feel the need to own here anymore and so he put his mansion up for sale in december um he listed it for 5.9 million it's in los angeles let me see specifically i believe it's in the hollywood hills uh yeah it's on a hillside it's a really cool place and he's owned it since 2013 so he's been there for a while um he listed it, like I said, in December, and he recently cut the price by $225,000 in March. It's like exactly what I think Zac Efron's home would look like. It's a it's a cool, it's like a very like bachelor pad, like Lofty, modern. but there's lots of windows. It looks like a great place for entertaining. It's yeah. 5,600 square feet. Um, he's got lots of cool artwork up, which obviously probably doesn't come with the home, but you can just see his style throughout. Mm -hmm. And it does have these sweeping views of, of Los Angeles. Um, you know, it says it's in Los Feliz. (laughs) Jenks. Um, yes, it's in Los Feliz. So it's adjacent to Hollywood, uh, up in the hills. It's a cool house. Um, they call it a Zen contemporary compound, which I would agree with that. Yeah. I, it's oh, like a weird description, but like it's very accurate. Anyway, so despite this place being super cool, uh, Zach is having an issue finding somebody to buy it. Um, so we'll keep an eye on it. But that makes him our loser of the week. 
Um, okay, so that's our loser. Rachel, tell us who our winner is. Oh, I like this one. Our I winner. Know. Wait, do we? Yes, we do. Well, I like him, but I, li- I like the house. Our winner is Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family Thing. And, and also makeover. Extreme Home Makeover. That's why I was like, do we like him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not his fault that he got did cast. He, did he? Sorry, Ty. We love else. you, Ty Pennington. I'm a little mad at Jesse Tyler. I'm not going to lie. But Jesse Tyler Ferguson's house is amazing. It's pending after only being on the market for 32 days. If he gets this asking price, he'll get nearly $2.5 million more than he bought it for. Yep. Do you think it's worth that, Natalie? I do. This house actually has quite a celebrity um, pedigree uh, of owners. So yeah. Robert Robert Pattinson owned it from Twilight, the, the Twilight series. Um, and Gwen Stefani owned the house in the 90s. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. She bought it in 98 for 1.3. So um, it's a pretty special house. Jesse Tyler Ferguson and his husband uh, hired the interior designer Peter Gursky to help them renovate it. And if you look at these photos, you will see that it's immaculate. It's a, it's incredible. It's a Spanish style home. It's like the ultimate Spanish style home. So if you're into that look, like yeah. you will love this. The ultimate Los Angeles Spanish style home. Um, it has... I'm not like a turquoise f- fan, but the the turquoise trim on the windows is so perfect. Um, it just fits so well here. I mean, f- from there's color, there's pattern, there's texture. Yeah, like there's arched doorways. The there's, this place is immaculate. Uh, the staircases look original. I mean, maybe they are. It's just <laughs> it honestly, it looks like we're like a like a Mexican drug lord was like no his. no because I would I just think of Breaking Bad and all the homes there were just yeah, very like drug tacky. lord <laughs> no but tacky this is not tacky this is like no no it's but this, Arc yeah, Digest I, I think drug lords probably have good taste they have a lot of money <laughs> um and this was actually in Arc Digest too this, yeah I was this gonna was, ask if it was I thought it was in Arc Digest it's, it was it was featured in uh 2018 in Arch- Architectural Digest so um f- for a design lover for someone who wants a move-in ready home this is the house and it's no surprise that he's been able to find someone who's interested in it um yeah, it's it was contingent a couple for a couple weeks, and now it's pending. So I believe that this one will be sold uh, pretty soon. Yeah, I hope you guys click on the photos to look at this. Uh, go to the show notes. So you you really you must go you look must. at this house. <laughs> we implore you. <laughs> well, and I think it's really cool that Robert Pattinson and Gwen Stefani owned it. Like, what's the common thread between those three? It's such a weird trio. It's yeah, it is a random trio. I feel like. Do you think that whoever buys this home is going to be another A-list star? I certainly hope so. It would be kind of cool to see. Like, I mean, because, you know, Madonna bought the weekend's house. This one, yeah. it's not It's not a price point that's, like, astronomical where it could just be, like, a random billionaire. Like, 
and a celebrity an a-list celebrity could do seven million so who do you think would live in this house next Oh, God. Um, I don't even know because the three who've lived in it are so wildly different. Like, I don't know how to answer that question that I just asked maybe myself. Like, maybe like Margot Robbie or someone like that. I mean, because she, she owned a, a smaller house um, in Hollywood or West Hollywood somewhere. I think it was like a two-bedroom, very modest, but like very nicely decorated house. She sold that. I believe last year. And so maybe she's looking to upgrade. Um, I could see that. Was she, it Spanish style that she sold? Do I you don't remember? remember? I don't remember. It might have. It was either Spanish style or mid-century modern. Um, but I mean, she's very style savvy. She's uber successful with her not only acting, but she is. she owns a production company and she's you know, she produced like Promising Young Woman, um, mm-hmm. the Oscar nominated film. So I wouldn't you be watch surprised. That? No, I didn't. But I, I, I did. I saw I heard all about it from the Oscars. So I heard it's really good. Um, maybe. It. Yeah, maybe her. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe someone from Vanderpump Rules. No, just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll we'll keep an eye on it, though. We'll see who buys Jesse Tyler Ferguson's house. But for going into pending status and still not having to drop the price and you know only be on the market for 30 days jesse tyler ferguson is our celebrity winner of the week And that's it for House Party. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to check out any of the stories we talked about today, you can go to your show notes. You can see links to stories. You can check out photos, read a little bit more about the houses that we talked about. Uh, you can also just go to realtor.com slash news or Google. Google is your friend. If you have an extra moment, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps us learn what you like and dislike about the show. And uh, we appreciate everyone who's left a review so far. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at realtor.com. We're talking to you, Ronnie, the limo driver. Uh, No, we'd love to hear from any of you. Podcast at realtor.com. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at House Party Pod on all three. And this is the place where we post photos and the articles that we've talked about, as well as a few extra treats, the, some of the things that we haven't actually talked about, um, and we think that you will enjoy. So join us there. Join the conversation. Thanks again for pressing play, and we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.